Amen. Good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? I'm going to go ahead and get this out of the way. I hope you're having a wonderful Bulldog Day. And if you don't know what I'm talking about there, that's on you at this point. But either way, it is so good to see you all, to have you here this morning. I am thankful and grateful for the opportunity to stand before you this morning to proclaim the Word of God. Again, we are uh, doing some standalone sermons, uh, hoping to really set the tone for the year. Uh, I do want to again say for those of you who are legitimately concerned about uh, when are we going to go back and finish Philippians, uh, the last section of Philippians chapter 4, spoiler alert, good news for you, come next Sunday and you're going to hear us finish Philippians chapter 4. So for whatever reason, your Christmas season and New Year was not complete uh, because we had not finished Philippians, then know that's happening next week. But if you have your Bibles today, I want to go ahead and encourage you to turn with me to Ephesians uh, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4 this morning, and uh, man, I'm telling you, I just uh, want to share a couple things if I could, uh, just personally for a moment. Um, this is one of those mornings where I wish I could tell you I had a great introduction, but I don't. Uh, matter of fact, if you were to look at my notes this morning, it says intro, and it says two lines, come up with something good. <laughs> and I've got nothing. <laughs> But I say that because I want to share with you this morning that, man, I just, I just love Jesus. And I'm thankful for his grace. And I'm thankful for his mercy. And I want you to know that I love this church dearly. And i got to be honest with you. It has been a joy over the past couple weeks to watch and listen to our faith family worship together. It has been a joy to hear conversations. I am thankful for just so many conversations that the Lord has allowed me to be a part of. Some of you have been so encouraging, thanking me and our pastors, our elders, our staff, uh, just speaking into your life. I, listen, I'm just thankful to be a small part of the journey that God has you on. And I want you to know that. But I tell you, I've been thankful to hear conversations, conversations of parents, of young ones who are talking about uh, seeing to the spiritual upbringing of their children and, and what that looks like, not only here corporately as a gathered body, but also collectively, individually, within their own homes, within their own families. I'm, I'm thankful for, for folks who say, I don't have a lot of strength or a lot of energy left, but man, I will faithfully serve wherever I'm needed. And I'm thankful for that. Uh, I'm thankful for the fact that we have a church whether people want to admit this or not, but it loves all generations of people. I'm thankful to see generations serve. I'm thankful that a couple weeks ago, we had a teenager up here reading the word of God, leading us through the proclamation of the word. And then today, one of our most faithful and oldest members stood before us reading and proclaiming the word of God. And I'm thankful. I'm thankful because this past week I had a conversation with a college student who, uh, I can't even imagine what this college student's going through with the demands of college and, and what's expected, trying to figure out your future, yet at the same time balancing uh, just the juggling act that is uh, scholarship stuff and, and, and dealing with classes and dealing with all the extracurriculars that come with that. And I was thankful and encouraged by this brother as he shared with me that his only passion and desire was to glorify God. 
I'm thankful for that. But I want to tell you that at the same time, this week hasn't been the easiest week for us as a staff. This week hasn't been the easiest week for us as elders. You see, this week alone, we came under some heavy attacks from people by having divisive conversations and divisive emails, sending anonymous letters. And I want to speak to this for a moment. Because I watched as our staff prayed together and trusted God together. I watched as our staff hurt together. I've watched as our staff grieved together with tears in their eyes about what supposed members were saying about us and about our church. And I want to share briefly, I'm not, I don't, I don't think, you know, Corey and I were talking about this before service and I, I got received again, I received two letters this week. I'm not going to share with you the other one, uh, but I want to share this one with you and I want to, I want to share it because I think it fits so perfectly with what we are talking about from Ephesians chapter four this morning. You see in this letter, it accused me and it accused our church of being divisive and it accused us of having a spirit of Satan. And it accused us of, after misquoting scripture from Psalm 133, it, it accused us of ripping apart the fellowship of the church and then it ended by, by telling me that before the end of this month I would be fired. Now I'm not saying all that to get your accolades or hugs later. I'm not doing that. Because at the end of the day, here's the reality, man. People can say what they want to say, but the only person's words that matter to me are the words of Jesus Christ. And he's called us to be faithful and obedient. So if I could respond for just a moment to this person. Now, again, I want to, I'm only sharing this because I don't know who they are, okay? They, they didn't sign the letter. It was anonymous. There's no return address, which, by the way, I thought at some point in our lives we... We taught ourselves that in order to be able to send a letter, you had to have a return address on it. Like, I don't know what happened with that, but anyway, that there's no return address, so there's no opportunity for me to respond. Uh, they did cordially end the letter by saying sincerely. Um, I don't know how you say sincerely after you, you say what you say uh, in the letter that was said, and there's no name, there's no signing, there's no nothing. There's no, I mean, even Spider-Man would have been good at this point. You know what I mean? Like, anything would have been good at this point, Okay. And so nothing was said. So if I could, I just want to take a few moments and address this. And this is, I think this is going to lead perfectly into where I believe the Lord wants us to be in Ephesians chapter 4 because uh, I prayed long and hard about where God wants us to be in terms of this text. So if you're hearing this right now, if you're a first-time guest, by the way, I'm sorry um, that you're having to hear this with us. But man, you just got to understand that as Christians, when you're being faithful to the Word of God, you're going to get attacked, Okay. If you're being faithful to the word of God, if you're being faithful in worship, if you're being obedient to the Lord and what the Lord has called you to, this is going to happen. We know this. We saw it in the Old Testament. You can read Ezekiel. You don't even get past the first chapter before you realize Ezekiel's called by God to prophecy the things of God. And he says to him that you're going to be let out among the briars and the thorns and you will live amongst the scorpions. He's talking about his chosen people. He's talking about the Israelite nation. He's not talking about non-Christians at this point. 
Even the most faithful and the most religious and the most devout were the ones who were attacking Jesus. Even when we walk through the New Testament, we see divisiveness happening within the church amongst people who claim to be followers of Christ, claim to be leaders in the church, but the reality was at the end of the day, they were false teachers. We have seen this throughout history. So if I could just address this for a moment. So again, if you're a guest with us, I apologize again. Don't think, oh, this is what's going on here. I don't want any part of this. Let's go to the next church. Trust me when I say the same thing's happening at all the churches around us. But either way, let me address a few things. First of all, I want to address this. I don't understand how you can call yourself a Christian and send such a hateful and hurtful letter to your staff and to your pastors. There is nowhere in the Bible that calls for us to act under anonymity in this way. In fact, when you are called to anonymity, it's talking about how you offer up praise and celebrating someone else, and you you offer them accolades and praise as anonymous gifts in order that God would be glorified and not yourself. But the Bible is clear in Matthew chapter 18 that if you have a problem with your brother, you are to go directly to your brother. Notice there's no anonymity when you have to do that. Secondly, I want you to understand this, whoever this person is. I want to thank you for sending Scripture because I am thankful for Scripture. I'm thankful when people can point conversations back to the Word of God. I'm thankful for the people, some in this room, who we have disagreed with before and we've disagreed over interpretation of Scripture, and that's okay because at least you know what you're talking about. But what I am doing right now for this person is I am praying for you because I want you to understand that when you read the Bible... I am praying that the Spirit of God would convict you and that you would read it with clarity as opposed to using the Bible as a weapon to attack fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Thirdly, I want to say this. And if this is offensive, I'm not going to apologize for it. I think acting divisively under the guise of anonymity is cowardly. So what I would say to this person is stop calling yourself a Christian. The word you're looking for is coward. There's no room for this at the table. Fourthly, and I'll leave with this point, and then we'll get into the sermon because it leads right into it. If you're going to send an anonymous letter to the church, do yourself a favor and save the postage. I don't know if you've noticed this, but stamps keep getting more and more expensive. Stop doing that to yourself. I don't even know. What is the cost of a stamp now? 30, are we still at 35 cents, 32? What are we at now? So What? You see, I, don't clear, I clearly don't send snail mail. I email. What did you say? 53 cents for a stamp? Do you know what I could do with two quarters? I mean, honestly, not a lot in this country except make two small kids happy. That's what I can do. I mean, really, I don't. That's not going to get them very far. Maybe a stick of gum, okay? But there's more joy to be found in that stick of gum than you sticking a stamp on a letter to simply attack your pastor and attack our church. What I would encourage this person to do is this: if you're going to mail a letter, mail it to a brother and sister who needs to be encouraged in Christ. If you're going to mail a letter, mail it to a family member and tell them how you're doing. Those are better ways to spend postage. Don't 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 send it to us like this. Because here's the reality: I want you to know that yes, I do save these letters. I do, and I don't I don't save them because I just want to deal with the heartache, I save them because it reminds me that there are people in this world who need to be prayed for. So 
Again, I know that person's not here today, and I'm speaking to the choir at this point, but this sermon is going to go out to the rest of our congregation who's not here. And so what I want to say to you is this, I am praying for you. And so is our church. And so is our staff. And I want you to know that, yeah, this letter was discouraging, but I also want you to understand that I'm still here. And so is our staff. And we still believe in a sovereign God. And we still believe in the word of God. And we still believe that God has a providential plan for his church here at Southside. The same way he has a plan for our brothers and sisters at First Baptist and at Fishhawk and at Name Your Church in the area. God has a plan for his church. And all I know is this, here at Southside, we are simply a small part of what God is doing for his kingdom. And I'm still here. And that's not changing. You know, I don't know about you, but um, like I said, this week was a challenging week for the staff, and it was very interesting because many of us kind of stopped, and after the initial shock wore off, we kind of did some self-reflection about what was going on in life, and maybe you can relate with us for a moment. But there were several moments this week where myself and, and our staff, we got together, we prayed, we questioned, and the question we were asking ourselves is, why am I here? I mean, really, what is the point? What is the purpose of being here, doing what we're doing, dealing with what it is that we're dealing with? But yet, what is my purpose in the midst of all of this? Now, I'm sure everybody in this room has dealt with that very same question. You've probably come a point at some point in your life where you've asked that question of yourselves. Man, what is the point? Why am I here? What is my purpose? What is God calling me to in this moment? I mean, let's be honest for a second. Most of us in this room are in some form or fashion on social media. So we see the lives of others and we generally see the best of the lives of others. And we see and we watch and we say, man, I want that for myself. Why is my side of the life so, so just bleak and gray, yet on the other side of the fence where they exist, life is so just pristine and, and wonderful? Maybe that's not you, and maybe you're, you're a person who gets engrossed in TV shows and in, and in movies, or maybe you've been reading some good books or listening to popular authors and, or popular pastors that maybe you respect and look up to, and you wonder, man, what would it be like if I had that life? What would it be like if I, if I had that popularity or I wrote that book or I, or I directed that particular show? What would it be like if, if I'd have done something completely different with my life? Maybe you're here today and you're wondering as a Christian, man, what if I did more? I mean, why am I not doing more? Or maybe why am I not doing better at what I currently have? You see, here's the truth for us this morning, man. We all wonder, but I want to encourage you that you should never let that wonder cause you to wander. You see, in our text this morning, we're going to see that God has a purpose for each one of us. 
And we're not only gonna see that God has a purpose for us, but we're also gonna see that within our purpose, God reveals that there is a purpose for the local church. So Paul, in speaking to the church at Ephesus, the church that Timothy was pastoring, um, the church that, that, that Paul loved, he speaks to the church about her purpose on this earth until the day Jesus returns. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I would encourage you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to read two simple verses today, verses 15 and verse 16. If you have found your place in the Word in Ephesians chapter 4, if you can and you're able, I would invite you now to stand in honor of the reading of the Word of God. Now again, this is Paul writing to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 15. Paul writes, Rather, Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let's pray together. Father God, we come before you right now thanking you for this day and we thank you for this morning. Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have now to be in your word, to be in this place. Father, we ask that for the next few moments that we have together, we ask that you and you alone would be glorified. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for loving us. We thank you that you have called us to this place. Father, we thank you for the celebrations that we have. But at the same time, Father, we look to you and praise you for the hardships that we go through as well. Because even in the midst of the hardships, you are there and you are present. So, Father, I pray this morning, prepare our hearts and our minds, soften our eyes and our ears. Help us to be in tune to your truth. And God, help us to see the purpose of the church. Because, Father, the church is not a building. We know the church is the people. And you have called us not only to yourself, but you have called us to a specific and unique purpose. And so, Father, we pray that today you and you alone would be glorified. Lord, we love you. And it's in your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Now, again, this is Paul in writing to Ephesus. Paul is now writing to a people that he loved dearly. And I want you to know that in his writing, Paul tells them of the majesty of Jesus Christ. And he also calls the believers in view of Jesus Christ to ultimately do their part and to play their role that they are now called to play or called to do. You see, in our text, Paul is going to now tell the church that even though our roles may be unique to us, even though our roles may be different, no one person is better than the other. There is no one person who is more needed than the other. In fact, we as a faith family, we really need to see and learn that we are and should be dependent on one another. In other words, if I could, if I could just use this for a moment, and please bear with me, this has been a wonderful week in the life of sports in my house. And you know what I'm talking about. And Jed, thank you for saying go Gators as you walk by. You can have it. But really, our faith family is not just a family. We're like a team as well. 
And as a team, it takes everyone doing their part in order for a team to be successful. But like every good coach I've ever heard in life, they say this, but a team is only as good as its weakest link or as its weakest member. So how are you helping one another to grow? You see, a team, for a team to be successful, it takes everyone doing their part. For a team to be successful, it takes everyone doing their job. For a team to thrive, it takes everyone putting in the work so that others around them can trust them to do what it is they have been tasked to do. You see, I think the same thing can be said about us as a church as well. As Christians, we have roles to play within the church. As Christians, we are called to be faithful within those, rule, those roles. And herein lies the beauty of the church. You see, all of us individually, as a part of the local church, now have a purpose. And by God's grace, as a church together, the collective family now has a purpose together. And yet at the same time, as a collective family made up of individuals, each purpose is unique to each and every individual, thus making the body of Christ through the local church diverse. Now that was a mouthful. So let me unpack what I'm talking about for a moment. Recently, I've been reading and hearing a lot about how churches have allowed themselves to be defined by one particular specific ministry item. For example, there are some churches out there that claim to only be evangelistic. Now, I want you to hear me and understand this, because while I applaud and affirm evangelism on a regular basis, and I think churches should be doing it, which means I believe individual members should be doing that as well, if we are not careful, our evangelism can turn us more into a seeker-friendly worship, and therefore our gathered worship times as a body are no longer about God, but rather they are about the people who are now in the room. And so what ends up happening is we begin to dictate worship based on our own personal preferences. We begin to dictate worship based upon our own personal desires as opposed to looking to a faithful and holy God who is the object of our worship. At the same time, I've been reading and hearing about churches out there that claim to be strictly discipleship-driven. Now, again, they don't just say these words and they leave me to unpack them. They unpack them for me. And so this is where I come up with this. Again, I want to applaud these efforts because I firmly believe that discipleship enables the believer to grow in their own faith and understanding of who God is. However, if our focus is strictly discipleship, then we will have all the knowledge in the world about the word, but we will have no idea how to share the gospel with a world that desperately needs it. So what's the point of all this? Well, the point is our churches need to be well-rounded in terms of our passions. Now, sure, there may be seasons where we focus on one aspect over another, but our focus should never be to the detriment of other areas within the church. 
In fact, I love what Mark Dever says about the church and the purpose of the church. He says, the proper ends for a local congregation's life and actions are the worship of God, the edification of the church, and the evangelization of the world. These three purposes, in turn, serve the glory of God. You see, this is a good summation of the point of the church and why the church exists. So this morning, we're going to see that Paul is now going to affirm the call of the church as he writes to them specifically about their purpose. And so we're going to answer the question this morning, what is the purpose of the local church? First, we see in verse, the first half of verse 15, that the purpose of the local church is to speak truth in love. Notice what Paul says here. He says, rather, speaking the truth in love. Again, I didn't create this. This is Paul's words through the word of God. Now, clearly the truth here uh, that's referenced is Jesus Christ himself. So as Christians, we are now called uh, to see that our purpose is to speak with a strong affection and speak with a love of Jesus Christ and to speak about Christ. So when it comes to speaking in love as believers in Christ, we are now called to speak freely and openly and honestly and sincerely about our faith. You see, our words should be spoken in such a way that it shows that we we care for the souls of mankind. And that's even in the hard conversations that we have. Sometimes those hard conversations are necessary because we care about the soul of the person that we are speaking with or who may be speaking to us. You see, as Christians today, our words should reveal our desire for people to know Jesus Christ. Our desire should be for Christians to grow in Christ. Now again, this would be in direct opposition to the false teachers who we saw in in Ephesus who spoke in secret. They spoke divisively and they were seeking to ensnare people away from the church and ensnare them away from Jesus Christ. Yet at the same time, what we need to realize is not only are we called to speak the truth about the gospel, but we are called to speak the truth in love, which means that Christians should also be speaking to one another with a genuine concern for their spiritual well-being. Now again, let me help you understand what I'm talking about here. When we talk to others, there should be a concern for how that person is who you are talking to. Yet at the same time, when hearing someone's concern, whether it's about us, for us, with us, we should be willing to receive it with brotherly love and affection. Again, let me unpack this for a moment. Paul at this moment is not saying to us as Christians to walk up to everyone you know and act like you're a professional counselor all of a sudden, unless you are a professional counselor. You see, we don't walk up to people all of a sudden and say, how are you? And then they say, I'm fine. And then you say, no, 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 really. How are you? And then stare directly into their soul as if you're looking for some in-depth, serious answer. That's not what we're called to as Christians. Yes, we are to ask the question, how are you? But then we are to simply listen because here's the reality. Sometimes people ask me, how are you? And I say, I'm not doing well. And they say, no, really, how are you? And I say, did you hear what I just said? I'm not going to change that answer. And all of a sudden, they start doing some soul searching. And I'm like, wait a minute. First of all, this is not a professional session. Secondly, what are we getting at here? 
Rather, as Christians, what we should be doing is this. When we ask people how they're doing, let's show them genuine care. Knowing that in this moment, God may be opening a door for us to care for the soul of another individual, which is honestly what we're called to do as a church. You see, here's one of the things that concerns me. I'm beginning to see and realize that all of a sudden life is looking more and more like how we communicate with one another through social media. You see, it's almost as if we want to come in now and and speak our version of the truth. We all have our truth, but here's the problem with our truth. There is but one truth, and it's found in the Word of God, okay? That is the truth. There is no other truth out there. But this is what happens. We, 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 we tend to treat life like social media and we want to speak our truth. And then all of a sudden, if somebody questions it a little bit or somebody pushes back gently a little bit or somebody says, Hey, I don't know if I agree with that. Then ultimately what we do is we almost want to unfriend them or unfollow them to their face. It's almost like we can't even ask questions of one another anymore. So you see, as Christians, man, our purpose as the church has to be to speak truth in love we got to be willing to have hard conversations, not because we're looking for a fight, not because we're looking for answers, not because we're looking simply for who's right, who's not. It's not about that. It's about growing in righteousness is what it's about. So how are we doing at speaking and listening to truth and love? How are we doing as a church in caring for one another in this way? Secondly, Paul would want us to see that our purpose in the church is to see that Jesus Christ is the lead. We see this in the second half of verse 15, the first half of verse 16. Paul writes, and we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Now let's just pause there for a moment because Paul is teaching us that our growth in love, our growth in truth, and our growth in faith really is a gradual exercise. It takes time and it takes patient. So the reality is if you don't have it all together today, then that is perfectly okay. It takes time. But when you read this text, notice that Paul takes our purpose one step further by teaching us that Jesus Christ needs to be the lead. Or like we said last week, Jesus Christ needs to be the focus of our lives. In other words, as Christians, We must depend upon Jesus as our Savior, seeking our strength in Him and seeing our purpose in Him. I mean, the best way to think about this is to think about it in terms of a plant. You see, the beauty of the flower represents the glory of Christ. However, in order for the plant to grow... It needs the branches and stem working together, which represent us when we are rooted in Jesus Christ as Lord. So as we exercise our gifts, I want us to remember that serving is ultimately done, yes, for the good of others, but ultimately our serving should reflect the glory of God. And when this happens, Jesus Christ Glory will be put on full display for the world to see. 
Now, coming back to our text and speaking of Christ, Paul's going to continue. He says, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. Here, Paul gives us the image of the human body being us, being controlled by the head, which is Christ. And so Paul's literally saying, listen, as Christians, we are a body made up of many parts. Go back and read 1 Corinthians chapter 12 to understand what he's talking about. And all these parts are directed and coordinated by the head, which is Christ. Now I want you to understand that Paul's words here are both a good reminder, but also a warning for us as Christians. You see, here's the reality that we need to accept as Christians. God is still God no matter what we think. God is still God no matter who we say he is. God is the head no matter what we believe, no matter what we want. But sadly, there are times as a human body where out of human reflex, we try to do God's work within our own strength. We seek to exercise God's gifts apart from him as Savior and Lord. You see, sometimes as Christians, it is easy for us to try to work things out apart from God. And the reality is this is when we get in trouble. Again, let me unpack for you what I'm talking about. See if this sounds like you for a moment. It is easy to work so hard to provide for our families that we neglect to pray for them. It is easy to become so concerned that we do well on exams or that we do well in our work or that we do well on projects that we forsake biblical integrity. It is easy to become so focused on our children doing and performing well that we ultimately neglect our spouse. You see, the truth this morning is that we can become so dependent on ourselves and on our own abilities that we stop depending on the one who gave us those abilities. It's at this point I would encourage you to look at John 15, verse 5, when Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. You see, we need to remind ourselves that there is nothing that we can do apart from Jesus Christ. As one scholar noted already, he said, before we talk about it, we need to pray about it. You see, as a church, before we try to, to work on our own or, or, or help someone out with their concerns or, or begin to listen to other people's concerns, let's first be a people who begin with prayer, asking for God's help, asking for God's grace, and asking for God's guidance as we seek to work together. So we have to ask ourselves this morning, with Jesus being the head of the church, as a church seeking our purpose, do we first stop to realize that we need and we depend on God before we can even take our next step? Paul then teaches the church at Ephesus their third purpose. 
And he says this to him. He says the purpose of the church is to recognize our need for each other. We see this in the second half of verse 16. And some of you may be saying, oh, wait a minute. You mean to tell me that in my life I need others and they need me? Yes, introvert. And I don't say that derogatory. I live with one. You are needed. You are needed and, and you need them. Maybe when you hear this point, you might start thinking of the chorus of, of what was a very popular song over the past couple of years that repeats this in the chorus. It says, you need me, man. I don't need you. Here's the problem. If you think that, I want you to know that the family of God needs you. If you don't feel like you fit or you don't feel like you belong in the church, I want you to understand something. Your church needs you. This faith family needs you. And whether you want to admit this or not, you need this family. You need the faith family. You see, no Christian has ever in the history of the world been called to go and simply be the lone wolf. Even Jesus had the apostles. You go outside of Christ, and the example we see is that of Paul. I was talking about this point with somebody earlier this week, and they said, well, how do you explain Paul? And I said, that's a great question. Yes, I understand that there's Paul, but understand this about Paul as well. Paul faithfully shared the gospel of Jesus Christ. But notice that Paul regularly needed and leaned upon the church for their support and also their prayers. You don't believe me? Read 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Ephesians, Galatians, Philippians, Colossians. He constantly calls for the church's support and prayer. Thessalonians even. Coming back to our text, Paul continues, when each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. You see here, Paul teaches the church that we have a deep obligation to one another. Everyone has the call of making the body work, which means all of us should be doing our part. Now, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, hearing these words this morning, this clearly runs counter to what it is that we have been taught our entire lives in Western civilization that leans heavily on individualism and personal autonomy. I mean, it can also be said that even as Western churches, these churches tend to focus heavier on our personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, although it is true that we do now have this personal relationship with Jesus Christ, biblical Christianity does not teach that faith is only about Jesus and me. But rather, the Bible teaches that we are all a part of the body of Christ. We are all called to be a part of the faith family. In fact, in, earlier in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 22, Paul says, In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. 
Notice what Paul says here. He's saying that the Spirit lives in us. The Spirit of God now lives among us. Therefore, we are now all a representation of Jesus Christ here on this earth. Therefore, we need each other because of what the Spirit is doing in us and through us. And so as the body of Christ today, as a, as a faith family today, we need to realize that in our need for one another, we are now an expression of Jesus Christ's love to one another. So how in our example, how in our word, through our local family, are we now living the expression of love to one another? The answer to that question is found in our words. It's found in our actions. It's found in our service to and through the local church. And yes, it is found in divisive, anonymous letters. Now, I want you to pay attention because Paul repeats a phrase here. It's the phrase, in love. Now, we first saw this phrase at the beginning of verse 15, and, and here it is now again. You see, Paul is reminding the church that love is a central characteristic of Jesus Christ and therefore is essential for those who are united in Christ. So as a church community, we function because we are called to be contributors of love. In other words, we are called to be servants dependent upon one another and not just consumers of love or better yet, pew sitters who never really join or never really get involved in the church. You see, the reality is in Christ, we are called to the only community that calls us not to be self-serving, but rather to serve one another out of a mutual love that is rooted in our love for Jesus Christ and his love for others. You see, as a church, our gifts have been given to us by the grace of God. Our abilities have been given to us by the grace of God. And these gifts and abilities should be used to complement one another, to encourage one another, to edify one another, and used to ultimately build up God's church. So we have to ask ourselves this morning and what it is that we're called to and what it is that we're doing and how it is that we're serving. Are we doing our part to build up this local church. You see, as a faith family, we have been called to maintain a spirit of unity in the bond of peace. And yet as a body, though we are made up of many parts, we are still called and led under the headship of Jesus Christ. And so I want to ask you this morning, Christian, I don't know where you are or what you're going through. I don't know, I don't know what your week has been like. But do you realize that you have a purpose this morning? Do you realize that collectively as a church, we have a purpose this morning? Do we see that our purpose is not meant to be individualistic, but rather it's meant to serve one another through the context of the local church? You see, as a church, God has called us to speak the truth in love. He's called us to see Jesus Christ as the lead, and he has called us to recognize our need for each other. You see, when we see the importance of each of these points 
working together, then Paul, by God's grace, would tell us that we are now beginning to understand the purpose of the church. And so that is my hope. That is my prayer for 2022, that we would realize individually and collectively we have been called for a purpose. Let's pray together.